In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers, and we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about, but we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So would you please do me a favor? Can you go to podsurvey.com slash Jamie, that's J-A-M-I-E, podsurvey.com slash Jamie, and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. You guys, you can buy a lot of great things on Amazon for $100. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's pod, P-O-D, survey.com slash Jamie, J-A-M-I-E. Guys, thanks for your help. Go to podsurvey.com slash Jamie. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Friends, a lot of change has happened in my life recently in a lot of areas, but I do want to say that I'm smack dab in the middle of all this back to school life, and you might find yourself there as well. Last week, my high school kids started. This week, my college kids started, and next week, you guys, I'm going back to school. I am going to get my master's degree. I've wanted to go to seminary for years and years and years, and it's finally happening. I will be a student at Denver Seminary starting this week. Well, next week, I start my first class. I can't believe it. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I'm all of the things. I just want to say, if you're in the back-to-school mode, whatever that looks like, with little kids, your own life, or just, frankly, kids in your neighborhood, I know that it can be a fun and exciting and nervous time of year. So I just want you to know, I'm with you. I am there with you. Today on the show, my friend Kurt Thompson is here, and Kurt has been on the show plenty of times before. He is a personal friend of mine. Uh, I'm in a confessional community, and he leads us through that. In fact, many times throughout this interview, he alluded to what we were going to be doing at our next retreat. Well, that retreat has come and gone, and it was so beautiful for all of us. Kurt has a new book out. It's called The Deepest Place, Suffering and the Formation of Hope. In fact, it comes out next week on my first day of school, mind you, so I'm super excited about that. It comes out next week. I've already gotten my hands on my own personal copy, and I know that this is a book is going to meet you where you are. In this book, he guides all of us readers uh, to discover that through suffering, hope is formed. That is a hard thing to sit in. He uses this by weaving together a biblical narrative, interpersonal neurobiology, and personal stories of past patients. He shares that to create lasting change, we must develop a relationship with suffering and learn to be with it and acknowledge its presence. We talk about that in today's show. There's tears. There are moments of reflection. I know you're going to love it so much. Kurt's not asking us to suffer less because that feels impossible. But he is asking us to suffer differently. And if you're anything like me, there's always suffering in this world. And I don't know where you are today, but my prayer is that this conversation meets you exactly where you are. And more than Kurt's words or my words, I pray that the God of the universe who created you and knows your suffering and knows where you are, man, I pray that you will just sense his presence today as you listen to this conversation. Friends, thanks for being here. Thanks for being a happy hour listener. I do not take it for granted that you have my voice in your earbuds every single week. Guys, here's my conversation with Dr. Kurt Thompson. Kurt Thompson, welcome back to the happy hour. (laughs) Jamie, I mean, I am like... I, you, I, it, there couldn't be a better name. I'm because I'm so happy to be with you. It's just, it's, it's really, it's just a delight to be in the room together. Thank you. Thank I'm you so happy to be with you. Yeah. I want to, I want to start the show by saying this, and this is going to make you mad, but I'm going to do it anyways. Okay. Is over the course of my of my career, yeah. I have gotten to interview a lot of great, great people, and so mm-hmm. there are a lot of people's like that I know that I can't believe, like, sometimes I'm like, I can't believe that like Christine Kane is my friend, right? Mm, Like, I mm. can't believe that Mm. Ann Voskamp, you know, New York Times bestseller Mm. is my friend. But I want to tell you this, Mm. that there are some situations where I say, and I kind of hold it and I can kind of feel it out and I'm talking to someone and then I'll say, do you know who Dr. Kurt Thompson is? And they're like, oh my gosh, I love him. 
And I say, full of sinful pride, full of just let me make myself bigger in the moment. I say, well, he's my friend. And like, like, and then I say this, I say, and I, I've been to Mexico with him. <laughs> and then they're like, what? And my most favorite moments are if I'm at a conference and someone uses your name on a screen, I literally say to the person next to me, I know him. <laughs> so I just want you to know that like, I throw your name around like I know Dr. Thompson. So okay, 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 okay. So I'm so I I I'm just gonna uh, I want I want to respond by saying um, uh, it it is such it is such a meaningful thing. Like I can't like uh, I I want you to believe this that 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 you that that I would matter to you is. Uh, like you just can't put a price tag on that. Mm. And I'm uh I I'm just uh sitting here really touched by by that. So thank you. Okay. Let's let's you are Dr. Kurt Thompson. You've written a lot of books that I think people should all go and get. They have been a blessing in my life. Um but tell us a little bit about you. You have children and a wife and a family and tell us about Kurt Thompson. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, let's see, uh, in, uh, things that are important, uh, for me, I, I, am the youngest of four sons. I had these three much older brothers, my parents in their mid forties when I was born. And so there's a whole story behind that, that was really, that formed me. I grew up in a town of 800 people in Eastern Ohio, no stoplights, dogs were not on leashes. Uh, that in of itself can tell people a lot. And and that was really formational for me. I grew up in an evangelical Quaker community. That was formational for me. That was a big deal. Um, I've been married for almost 37 years to Phyllis, who just retired uh, after a long career in social work. Most recently in the last couple of decades has been in the public school system here in Arlington County, Virginia. And uh, no relationship has been more deeply formative for me than my than my marriage and i'm just you know every, every week that passes i you know it's like looking in the rearview mirror and you see more and more and more of uh providence's work at the beginning although you know you have rough spots you have you have spots mm-hmm. and you like i mean I, I don't know anybody who's married who doesn't have to work at it like the, you yeah. gotta, you, you got you just you, you just do like it's you got you mm-hmm. got to go you're going onto the playing field you're right <laughs> Which is then why I've got to have a gym where I go do my practice so I can go onto the playing field. And so I got yep. these, this group of these group of men that I meet every Tuesday morning for the last 25 years for confession and prayer without whom I'm a dead man and whom, mm. you know, if you don't have those guys, I don't know what my marriage would look like. So it's I go to the gym so I can go onto the playing field. And um, and so that's been a beautiful uh, thing for me, um, I, 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 and I have a, a daughter who's 33, who she turns 33 tomorrow. She, uh, is a pastor, solo pastor of a Presbyterian church in Nashville, married to a guy in Noah in his fourth year of medical school. Um, and our son, Nathan, who just turned 30 is, uh, wrapping up a PhD program. He lives here in Arlington. We get to see him quite a bit. I, I, it, it is true that I, I have, uh, and like the group that I get to meet with, with you all, like, I have uh, an exorbitant uh, uh, treasure trove of friendships that I do not deserve. I don't deserve my life. And, uh, and, and, and people who, uh, you know, I, I believe them when they claim that they love me. Like I, I, I believe, I believe them. I like that. I, I believe that they are telling the truth. And I like, I have, I have this part of me that I'm, that I've been working on. I got to work on that has that, you know, because of my own story and vulnerabilities and woundings and so forth and my own behaviors that, that doesn't believe I'm very wantable, which is there's a mm. piece in the book that I write about this. And that part of me that believes I'm not wantable makes, you know, it, it's uh, I am resistant to people coming to find me. Uh, be, I, I'm not not all of me is resistant, but there's a part of me that mm-hmm. is because there's the you know, there's the worry that, well, at some point, of course, you're going to f- walk into the room where you're like. Like, no, 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 no. Mm. And leave. 
Mm. And so, but, but we're working on that. We're, we're working on that part. And, and being part of this group with you all is like, is no small part of that. Um, mm. uh, to allow for people to say, no, come, we, we want you to be, mm-hmm. to be part. Like it's, yeah. that's, it's, that's so like what I said earlier about what you said, like it's not, it's, it's, it's yeah, I'm, I, I am a professional sinner. Um, and, 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 and I am like, I don't, I, I don't go halfway. Uh, and I'm in recovery. I, I'm in recovery for, you know, for being that. Um, and I, I can't believe I get paid to do what I do in working with patients as a psychiatrist. Um, uh, and, and the work that has been, been put before me in the last, especially the last 15 to 20 years. Um, that's kind of long winded, but that's, that's, that's yeah. you. It's yeah. That's Kurt Thompson. I love it. Well, Dr. Thompson, you have a new book coming out um, this this month, actually, just in a week, and it's called The, the Deepest Place. Hmm. And it's about suffering and hope. And when I think of suffering, I, when I personally think of suffering and hope, I think that suffering is universal. Like there's just no one that is going to get through this life without it. I mean, nobody, Mm -hmm. the person who has all the money, the person who has all the love, the person who has all the giftings and education, everybody will suffer. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's Mm -hmm. a universal thing that we can all understand. But on the flip side of that, that is hope. And I would like to make a statement saying that everyone probably will experience hope in their lifetime. I'm just, I I don't have anything to back that up. I would hope that would be true. But I think hope is harder to find sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I think I want to start this conversation with you. Of how do you define suffering and how do you define hope? Because I think that's going to set the stage for where we go. So it's absolutely true that everybody suffers. It's equally true that most of us aren't aware of where and how we suffer. Because if you're in the West, most people, not all, uh, there are many for whom this is not true. Uh, We have... Uh, an extraordinary array of um, uh, things that can distract me from my suffering. And so I, yeah. I, just, I just layer them on. So I'm not even aware of that. But if I were to be aware of it, uh, we would say that uh, the difference between you know, that pain is any emotional or physical stimulus that is noxious, right? That, that is unpleasant in some way, shape or form, whether it's a paper cut or it's, uh, you know, uh, or perforated appendix or it's cancer or it's a history of sexual abuse, uh, or it's your marriage that is falling apart, or it's your daughter or son that has a you know a, a terminal illness, or they've got a drug addiction, or you you can't get a job. I mean, it's the, the list is endless. Yeah, uh huh. It's pain. There is a pain, emotional, physical pain. Suffering is pain over time. Suffering has everything to do with the degree to which I experience pain over time and my response to the pain. Okay. We like to say, you know, when we're talking about this in medical circles and, uh, and in psychiatry, we say that pain is what happens to us. Suffering is my response to that pain. Okay. And uh, we talk a little bit about this in the book, hence suffering um, uh, I can contribute to my own suffering and I largely often do without even being aware that that's what's happening, which is a large wow. part of what we go after in this piece. Yeah. Okay. So then what is hope? So the first thing we, is it the flip side? Is it the flip side of it or? Well, it's, it's related in that it has, it's related in that it's, it's got something to do with time in that. Like when I think of hope, uh, I, I we're really talking about my anticipation of something in the future. If I, you know, if if I hope that my car starts, it's going to start in uh-huh. five minutes. It, it's it's five minutes from now. If I hope that we get to go to you know uh, Florida in a week, which I'm which hoping, you know, I right <laughs> right. But I'm I'm hoping that I get to do this. But it's a future state thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm anticipating something in the future. If I'm right here with you, I don't hope that I'm going to get to talk to Jamie. I'm because talking we with are. you. Right, okay. I'm talking with you. If I, but I'm hoping that I get to talk to you again next week. Because mm-hmm. it has to do with the future. And this is an important thing because we humans, like our life is time bound in ways that no other animal is. Which is why we, you know, when we talk about animals suffering, 
um, we're probably uh, we probably are misunderstanding the neurophysiology and and the actual physics of what's happening in the moment. Might they be in pain? Right, suffering perhaps. But like I can guarantee you that if a deer gets hit on the side of the road and it's not dead yet, and we say, oh, the animal is suffering, put it out of its misery. I got to tell you, the deer is not wondering to itself how much longer is this going to be happening to me. Right. You with me? Yes, because that's what sets us, we're set apart that way. Right. So it's not thinking about, like, it's in pain. We project that the animal is suffering. And fair enough. I mean, like, we're not we're not here to debate that. I'm not, I'm not saying Yeah, that. totally. But, 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 the, but the reason that this is important is because so much of our suffering has to do with how we construct the future in the stories that we tell about it. Mm. So my suffering today is is my response to my pain mm-hmm. and the way that I tell a story about that suffering thinks how I tell a story about my future. Right, because like if I'm if I'm having if I'm having a migraine headache and I know that this migraine is going to be over in 10 minutes, my experience of suffering is categorically different than if I, I do not know when this thing is going to be done. Yeah. A significant part of how I suffer with my migraine is not just about the pain. It is about how I am imagining how long is this thing going to last. Mm. And so this is, and, and so hope is kind of, cut from the same bolt of cloth. I hope for the future. But my future, this is okay, this this is where why the subtitle is the formation of hope. We imagine hope like it's something that's going to like drop into my lap. It's a thing that I'm either going to have or not have. Can I can I get me some hope someplace? Can I right. find me some hope? But it's not something that I either have or I don't have. It is a thing that I form and it happens for this reason. Our future uh-huh. What I imagine my future to be is something that I am creating in my mind based on my past experiences. Okay. Okay. So stay with me here. I'm here. Right. We always, we talk about in the first book that I wrote, we talk, uh, there's a chapter that I write when, it, when we talk about memory, we talk about remembering our future. There's nothing that we anticipate about my future, whether it's, I anticipate getting up when we're done and walking out my office door and walking down the hallway. I'm anticipating that the floor is going to hold. It's not going to give way. Why is that? Why is that? Because I've had lots of practice of my floor. Like if my floor were to give way like that, that would be shocking. But I'm anticipating it not because I'm just making it up out of the blue. I'm making it up because I've had lots of practice in in the past. If I have a story that is one of unresolved trauma, Mm-hmm. Where my what, what where what happened to me as a teenager, when I was sexually abused as a teenager, if that has not been resolved, all the things that I've paid attention to, that I think about, that I that I embed in the neural networks of my remembering brain, become the hard deck from which I anticipate my future. Yep, we don't anticipate anything in the future that we haven't already experienced. Say that one more time. We don't anticipate anything in the future that we haven't already experienced. Okay, I want to ask you a question about that. Yeah. You know me, and I anticipate a lot of, like, I'm, like, always thinking the worst is ahead. Yeah. And And are you saying that comes because I have experienced hard things? Yeah, when we because because like you're you you and you 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 anticipate like the worst things because you're not stupid. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, this is you, right. Okay, you're you're not you're not you're not just being a pansy. You're not just being weak. You're not being a coward. Like you have experience, and so when we talk about the future, we mainly we mostly talk about like that human beings when we anticipate the future. Uh, am I going to have a job? Is am I going to keep my house? Am, am I going to get cancer? All these things. I construct the future in terms of events. Right? I think about events that are going to happen. Right. I think about like I think oh I'm looking forward to being with the group next week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what is my brain mostly looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the emotional felt sense of what it's going to be like to be in the presence of people who love me and who I love. 
It's this that I feel that I'm anticipating. I'm not just anticipating an event. What my brain is mostly anticipate is anticipating is the emotional tenor of the event that I'm going to enter into. Yeah. And if I've had experiences in the past of uh, being being afraid mm-hmm. in, in in circumstances in which my fear was not resolved, rather I just had to bury it. I just had to white knuckle mm-hmm. it. Or if I was embarrassed, or if I was disappointed, or if I was really hurt or betrayed, or all of those emotional states that are not very pleasant, if I haven't had a way for someone to come in and help me regulate that, what I remember is that disappointment cannot be regulated. It just must be endured. Mm -hmm. This is what my brain is taking in. And so when I anticipate the future, in which I'm thinking about the worst case scenario, I am trying to anticipate it in order to do whatever I can to protect against it because it's not just the event I'm anticipating. It's I'm anticipating finding myself in a space in which I'm going to be overwhelmed with the feeling of being a disappointment and there will be no way out of that. Yeah. And the only way that changes is if I begin right now to enter into and to excavate the parts of my story where that disappointment or shame or sadness or whatever it is that has taken up residence within me about who I believe I am. I am sadness. I am a disappointment. Until and or less that is, uh, until I have an experience with another human being, while I'm having this experience, who looks me in the eye and I have a different feeling while I'm feeling sad, when I look, oh, I'm in the room with Jamie, and, I, and I'm not feeling very wantable, and you look at me with kindness, that very experience literally changes the neural firing pattern of my history of sadness and gives me a different experience of what it means to be sad, mm. which means, oh my goodness, if I have enough of those kinds of experiences, I begin to anticipate something very different in the future when it comes to experiencing sadness. Which you begin to hope for something different? Exactly. That's what hope is. This is why we say that hope is something that we form. This is why, like, the hope of the new heaven and earth is not just this theological construct. It is, when Paul writes about this, he's writing on it, having had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, having had an encounter into the third heaven that he writes about in whatever that, whatever Galatians or wherever he writes, wherever he writes, wherever he writes about this whole notion of having real episodic embodied relational encounters with people in the middle of our pain is what mitigates our suffering. It does not eliminate it because the other part that we talk about in the book is that part of suffering also includes the very process of coming into the light. The very process of having to take off the clothing of my old self and my addictions and my impulses Mm -hmm. and my all the things that I've used to cope with this. And that's a painful process. And I wish that I didn't have to do that. But in the process of doing all this, in the context of a vulnerable community, we get the opportunity to create hope. We form it solidly. And therefore, like, I don't form hope for me. We form hope for me. We form hope for you. Mm. This is what the this is the New Testament's way of thinking about how we are doing anything. Well, we're doing it in the context of a community. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. 
Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. There's one of my favorite verses, and I, I think that you got a lot from this in this book, was from Paul's talking in Romans chapter five, I believe, five through eight or three through five, something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. yep. Where he says, uh, we rejoice, not only do we rejoice in that, which he had previously said, we rejoice glory. in our suffering. We, okay, not only do we rejoice in the glory, but we rejoice in our suffering, which leads to endurance, which endurance leads to... Character, perseverance, perseverance leads to character, Mm -hmm. and character leads to a hope which cannot be put to shame. Right. Right. Is this where this came from for you? The suffering to hope. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is. I mean, this is the. I mean, the the book is really. uh, It's. It's kind of a. It's an exploration of those first five verses of Romans five and that particular verse three. That progression of suffering. Uh, the, the thing I invite the readers to look at is that 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 whole notion of suffering, perseverance, character, hope begins prior to that progression. It begins with this whole notion of glory, mm. and what we mean by that, what Paul's referring to by that, which and and glory has its own notion. The the glory that we read about in John's Gospel, for example, that Jesus talks about and the writer talks about is a particular aspect of glory that is very that, that is different than it's a, it's it's an element of glory that is not what we're typically used to talking about when we talk about when we read about it in the psalms when we read about it in the prophets it's the glory that lewis writes about in his sermon the weight of glory this whole notion that when jesus in john's gospel is talking about glorify your son as the son has glorified you o father it's not just this abstract idea. It's this I, it's, it's th- this abstract notion of glory of like, oh my gosh, God is so wonderful. God is so lovely. All that. It's this notion of, when I, I love how Lewis points this out. He says that an animal, a, a dog, for instance, has no greater glory, no greater joy, no greater delight than to realize his master's delight in him. Like, when is a dog ever happier? Like, a dog can, it can be happy for a lot of reasons, but, like, it's never happier than it's when, like, do you have a dog? I have two dogs, and right. you're, you're spot on. Right. Yep. So, like, when, when you are loving on your dogs, your dogs are, like. Oh, they're just like, the best. That's, that's, all they, that's all they need. They, all they need. They glory in your pleasure in them. Uh-huh. And this is what Lewis is getting at, that like we are our glory and the glory of God, the father as lavished on Jesus is God's utter pleasure in Jesus Mm. and Jesus pleasure in the father. And thereby, this is how he obeys, even in the face of pain of crucifixion. It doesn't make it easy, but it becomes the hard deck on which we begin to enter into suffering. It'd be like, oh, I can suffer. Because we begin with glory. Mm. We begin with this sense of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I get to be in the room with you. Yeah. You know, so like I, like, it, 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 you know, like I tell you, like, I, look, I don't, I said this, I don't deserve my life. I will tell people, no, guess who I was on a podcast with Thursday morning? Guess who I was recording with? That's right, Jamie, I, like, that's right, she's my friend. Right? Like, it's this sense of... Like, I can't believe that Jamie Ivey wants to have me on her show. Like, I just, this is just so, and, and there, and we underestimate the uh, necessity 
of that relational payload being in our life, Mm. our being able to be aware of God's pleasure Mm. in us. And the way that we most powerfully uh, appropriate that and experience that and practice that is in community with the body Mm -hmm. of Jesus. And it is in that glory that we then begin to, that when, that when pain comes and it doesn't stop and it becomes suffering because Mm -hmm. we don't see an end to it. Mm -hmm. Um, We are then invited to uh, allow ourselves to be in that space, in the presence of others who are saying, this is really hard. Mm -hmm. This is really hard. Uh, There's a lot that we can learn from Job's friends of what not to do. When it comes to suffering, um, suffering doesn't have answers. Mm. Suffering doesn't have explanations. Suffering uh, asks for presence. Mm-hmm. And suffering asks for presence that does not expect the one who suffers to, uh, you know, have everything figured out or be okay with it. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, last week who, whose mother, uh, passed away uh, two weeks prior, and uh, she died after a long battle with cancer. And the last, you know, few weeks were not very pleasant for her. And my friend was, you know, this person who's deeply committed to Jesus, and but found himself experiencing like a certain uh, shaking of his faith as he watched her suffer. And, you know, his sense of like, like, this is not fair. This is not right. And like that she should suffer. And I asked him the question. And his mother was a person of deep committed faith. And I said, well, wait a minute. Um, If was, was she telling you that she didn't think this was fair? He's like, well, no. I said, was she telling, was she complaining? That God was giving her a raw deal? Now that you mention it, no. So whose suffering are we actually talking about here? Mm. Right. It becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that it, it's not really my, my friend. His complaint is not about what's happening to his mom. His complaint is about what's happening to him. His suffering. In watching this happen. Mm-hmm. But this is this is an example of what I mean, Jamie, when I say um, many of us like aren't aware that it's that it's really us. Like my mm-hmm. friend wasn't aware that like, oh, I'm the one. This is grief for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what is that like? Like, yeah. And I'm by myself with these thoughts and these. Right. And the moment that we started to talk about this in such a way that he starts to sense that, oh. Uh, it's my suffering. When we enter into other people's suffering in such a way that we can say, this is really hard. I don't have an explanation, but what I do know is that I'm not leaving the room. Mm. That becomes the game changer because this is, this is the arc of scripture. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. We, uh, yeah, this, this kind of, I think, I think this, this kind of, um, lets a little the cat out of the bag about what we're going to do next week, but, Um, What we see that begins to happen in John 11, the second half of the chapter with Jesus and Mary at Lazarus' death, at the notion of his death, this notion of being with, being with, and allowing that to have the amount of time that it takes to do the work that God does, because uh, we we often are not aware that so much of how I am responding to my pain um, is a revealing of my old unfinished business, my own wounds that are not healed, uh, my own underdevelopment that God is trying to move forward that is as much a part of what suffering is doing as anything. I've seen this to be true in my own life. Like it's making me teary eyed a little bit just to see that, that, um, how I have taken old wounds and projected them towards my future because I haven't dealt with them and it changes the suffering 
and it diminishes the amount of hope I can have because I'm just projecting what I have lived in the past. That's right. And um, the change in that in my life has been significant mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. not allowing the pain I walk through to be unfinished and undealt with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has changed the way I can hope for the future, and That's so absolutely right. I'm just saying, I, I have, I have been through, I have, I'm, I'm a process with this, and I've yeah. seen it in certain areas of my life. Yeah, uh, with the help of you for sure. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was about um, Tim Keller, who recently passed away this past year, mm -hmm. and they were replaying some of his interviews. Hmm. And he was talking about when him and Kathy either first got the diagnosis of his cancer or got word that it just was not going to be curable. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about some of their conversations. And he said that they kind of got to a point where they said, did, did Jesus die and did he rise again? And is he coming back? Then everything's going to be okay. And that was profound for me. And I, I've held on to that for a lot of ways. And you say, if you say in your book, something that made me think about that, you say, if we are securely attached to Jesus, then ultimately we live in a safe world. Right. And what both you and Keller are saying is if we truly believe the truths of the gospel, mm -hmm. then ultimately, in his words, everything will be okay. In your words, ultimately, we live in a safe world. Can mm -hmm. you talk about that? Yeah. Well, it's uh, I, I I am just so um, uh, anymore. There's very little that I think about or talk about or write about that doesn't have its um, uh, origin in the first six chapters of Genesis. And as as our friends Tim Mackey uh, and others at the Bible Project would say, everything you need to know about human beings mm. you can find in the first six chapters of Genesis. Tells you everything you need to know, and I think we often we we miss the um, the depth and breadth of the degree to which we have been made in God's image. Mm. Uh, because one of the ways uh, in in which we have been made in God's image is that we are made male and female, which means. For me to be God's image bearer, I I can only do that with females. Like I I, I can't I I can't just like have my it's just gonna be me. It's just gonna be me. Mm -hmm. I have to like I have to be with other people who are not like me. In this case, women, but also others of other ethnicities. Other like I right. So that's, that's the, I, and that this notion of safety. Uh, we believe in a holy trinitarian God that is comfortable and confident in himself this this relational god because they are connected relationally and safety then is about the awareness of others presence and love for me that's what safety ultimately hinges on and so then what oh what do you know then human beings have children and children in order for them to grow up feeling comfortable and confident in their skin, they have to be securely attached. And secure attachment is the ultimate measurement of safety. You can have kids who are in secure attachment, securely attached relationships, and they're running through the kitchen, they slip and fall, and they cut their head on the kitchen counter. Like, is that safe or not? But it's like, well, that's not safe. Well, it, that's, of course they're safe. They're running too fast through the kitchen. Right, we, we'll find all kinds of ways. Like, I've lost three brothers to cancer. Is that a safe world or not? Mm. And it might be like, no, it's not a, it's not a safe because I, I think of safety as like the absence of any difficulty, the absence of any pain, the absence, like mm. it's, I'm only safe. I mean, this is part of like the kind of the misappropriation of the use of that word even anymore now, right? Yeah. I don't feel safe, which mm. means I don't take any risks. I don't, I, life has to be exactly how I want it, where I want it, how I want it. And, uh, when we are deeply connected and when I know that someone like I want to know that when we're done here with our, with our podcast recording, I want to know that there will be a part of me that will uh, stay with you in, in, in the small um, room in your heart of, in the heart, in the house of your heart that uh, uh, in which I get to take up residence. Like I'd like to know that. Mm. 
And if I know that, like that does a world of good for me mm. to know that I'm in like, I don't, you know, not, not, uh, you know, just a little bit, right? Just a little. And when we have relationships in which we are aware that we have been invited in to take up residence in them. And they're going to take us with them. They're going to hold like, oh, you're going to be, you're, you, I have the room in the house of my heart that has Jamie's name right outside of it. Th this becomes like literally not just metaphorically, not just in some abstract notion, but this becomes like, I take you with me. When we do this work in these confessional communities, like you're, you're like you take the others with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and this then becomes like, when we say we live in a safe world, I live in a world in which I'm loved and I feel it in my chest. I know it. I, I don't just know it as one plus one is two. And so I can have cancer and be okay because the gospel that Jesus has died, is raised, is ascended, is coming, is made real to me. Because of the people that are part of his body that are in the room that persuade me of this. They're not mm. persuading me of an abstraction. They are the gospel. They are Jesus to me. I can believe in the Jesus of the gospel because I believe in Jamie Ivey. And there's no other way. This is about what it means to bear God's image. Yeah. Like this, It's not like, oh, there's God, there's us, and then there's the gospel. We are his image. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. I mean, it's it's striking that that Tim and Kathy can have that conversation, and and they can be persuaded, and, and like, but it's no small part that they're having a conversation between the two of them. Right. That's not the same thing as just Tim laying in bed by himself and having these ideas in his head. Yeah. Right. It's almost like I, I sometimes need, this is what I've always said, I need people around me to remind me of what is true, and that's exactly what you're saying. Like, I, I need... When I can't remember the gospel, like I need you to remind me of the truth, and that is what you're saying. Well, yeah, and yes, that is that is what I'm saying. And I am saying that when you and I are having this conversation, I'm saying it's not just that you, Jamie, are reminding me, Kurt, of the gospel that is a third party in the room. I'm saying that the spirit of God who dwells in you is the one who speaks. Mm. And in that way, you are the gospel to me. Like you, like we become so in love with Jesus, the King, mm. so much part of who we are. that There comes a point where I can't tell the difference between you and him. And it doesn't matter. And when he comes, we'll all have sense that who I see in his fullness, I've already seen this coming. Because I saw it on the podcast with Jamie. And he'll say, yep, you did. No wonder, because she belongs to me and she has my resemblance. Because, oh. you know, siblings look alike. Uh-huh. She has my resemblance. And there was that Thursday where there was a part of you that really needed to hear me talking. And so she did. And you heard me. Well, I think I think this is what I mean when I say we have conversations that are this real. Yeah. And these become the things that we remember. Mm. And if this is what I pay attention to, and I practice remembering this. This becomes the fundamental ingredients of how we form hope. Mm. Hope is formed out of moments like this. Mm. It's not like, again, it's not some abstract idea. Oh, I hope in this thing called the resurrection. I mean, that's not untrue, but like the resurrection is not first an idea. It is first a real thing that happens in real history with some dude's real body that is like mm -hmm. now like nothing we've ever seen before or since. Mm -hmm. And that 
and, and, and we have a taste of that right here. Over the airways. It's amazing to me to think that God would allow us to be a part of other people's forming hope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm just sitting here going like, what an honor. Yeah. Like what a privilege. And it yeah. also makes me think like, when we sit, like I'll say this, I just had a conversation on the way to work today with a friend who's going through something really, really terrible. I didn't have any answers for her, but she's going through something really terrible. And now after our conversation that I'm having with you, I'm thinking, was I a part of her hope? Mm. Was I a part of her suffering and helping her, how she's reacting to her suffering, then developing hope? Like, is that conversation we had today helping her have future hope? And it just is like, God, thank you. Like, what an honor. Right. Like, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve right. to be a part of that. And yet you let me be a part of that friend's story today. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this again is like part of how we, I often say, uh, God takes us far more seriously than we do. Mm. And, and, and like the whole thing of like, no, you're going to be my image bearers, which means you're not just mm. going to like look like me, like the photograph or the, you know, sentience or intelligence. It's, if I'm a healer, then you're going to be a healer. If mm -hmm. I'm going to be the bringer of hope by virtue of my presence, then you're going to be the bringer of hope by virtue of your presence. This is how it works. Like we can't escape the reality that we are made in his image. And so everything that he would do with intentionality relationally, we are destined to be that kind of living being. Mm. And we don't take ourselves that serious. You're no, right. No. No. Yeah, and I and I think evil does not want us to be aware of this. Yeah. Evil. And so therefore it's easier, it's safer for us to think, well, hope is a thing that I'm either gonna hope hopefully like get some of that yeah. or uh -huh. maybe not. It's gonna happen to me, let alone that somehow I would be uh an important part of helping others construct form hope. Mm. That I am the hope mm. Mm. by virtue of presence because I, like I'm, like I convey the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit is coming through me. Mm. Tim Mackey says, once you get past the first two pages of the Bible, we discover that there's virtually nothing that God does through the rest of the Bible that does not directly require and involve the actions of human beings. You know, that, that Jesus wants us to be, he, mm. that he's not just saving us. When he says to, to Peter, like, I want to make you fishers of men. Like, yeah. I, I want, I, I, I want, like, I'm forming a team. And the team is going to be an right. extension of me. Like, y'all, like, we're all part of the, the mission. Mm -hmm. Because you are, from the beginning, you were intended to be my representatives on the earth, on the, on the first page of the Bible. Mm. And that means that everything that I'm going to do, that I would do on the earth, I want you to do on the earth. And yeah, it, I mean, it takes it takes work to do this. It takes it takes a lot of effort to like mm -hmm. take off all the garments of my yep. shame and my fear and all and, and and particular theologies and so forth and so on that uh, you know that that evil has kind of hijacked and allow myself to believe that my in my vulnerability. Uh, I allow, I, I, I submit myself to God for God to use me to become his presence of hope mm. that's going to form in other people. And in so doing, like, I'm going to do the same thing. Like I'm going to form hope. We're going to form it. We're going to make yeah. it. Right. Which is important because then it's not like we, we begin to recognize like, oh, it is a thing that I actually have agency to do something to form. It's not just going to be this capricious thing that maybe it'll happen for me. Maybe it won't happen for me. That's encouraging. Yeah. That's yeah. super encouraging, yeah. especially if someone's listening, and that's a lot of us, in the middle of pain, in the middle of suffering, that we have, through the work of the Spirit, we have the ability to form hope. Right. 
It's good. Yeah. It's good news. Yeah. It's really good news. Yeah. Kurt, I cannot wait for people to get this book. I've read all of your books. This is the new one called The Deepest Place. Uh, can you say the tagline again? Suffering and the Formation of Hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very good. You guys, this book comes out August 29th. Uh, Kurt, thank you for your time today. Jamie, oh, man, thank you. It's a pleasure always. And I, I am really hopeful for next week. <laughs> Me too. I'm very hopeful for next week as well. And I'm going to go read John 11 every day until then, since you gave me a little sneak peek into what will be happening. Um, I would like to ask you this before we go. What are you reading these days? Oh, well, uh, a new piece of fiction that I picked up from my wife called, uh, I, I, I just started it like two nights ago. I can't remember. And she's read it. She loved it. From my, it's called The Humans. Okay. Uh, it's a British author. Uh-huh. And I, I can't and I'm 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 you know twenty pages in. So I okay. I just know yeah, so I'm reading the humans. I'm reading the second time through I'm reading this book called Dominion. You've probably heard me talk about this by Tom. You, you have told me about it. Yeah, I'm reading it through the second time. It's just yeah, it's really it's really rich. Uh, and then I'm I'm Tom doing, Holland, the historian, not Spider Man. Okay, so I was in poor Bro- Tom Holland. I was, I was in I was in Brooklyn. I was in I was in Brooklyn preaching back in May, and I'm like, and I and I, and I mention, and I say like, because I think they asked me like, well, what what do you think? We're we're talking about crucifixion. I say, well, I, you know, there's the work of Tom Holland, and I start to go down this path, and like the 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 pastor, like Rich Velotas, he stops me, and he says like, just so you know, Kurt, I think just. We're probably not talking about the Tom Holland that you're talking. You're, 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 I'm like, I like, and I like, I don't even know this. I don't like it. And then he said, like, who's from Brooklyn? Apparently, Tom Holland is from Brooklyn, which is okay. So yeah, no, not that Tom Holland. Yeah. Um, and then I'm reading this book on prayer. Uh, uh, there's there's this Catholic uh, in in the in the previous book that I wrote. This Catholic theologian uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar. Um, uh, now deceased, but many would consider him to be one of the most important Catholic theologians of the 20th century. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he wrote about it. It's called prayer. That's what it's called. And it like, I'm, I'm just sitting kind of, uh, uh, kind of basting in this, reading it very, very slowly. I'm probably 15 pages in and like, because I'm reading it like uh, two pages every four days. Yeah. Just sitting with stuff on prayer. And mm. um, so that's, that's what I'm reading. I love it so much. Um, Kurt, I am the lucky one who gets to see you next week. And so I'm excited about our time together. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Your latest podcast series has been on confessional community and I've enjoyed it. And I think that would be a good thing for people to listen to if you're curious of what is confessional community and what is this thing that we do that anyone can do. Um, And so I'm going to share that with people as well. Great. Great. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, Kurt. And I'll see you next week. Very good. Thank you. The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley. 